Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know at impact at jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org, click on the Give link, and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, Ordinary. In this series, we explore global missions and how we as ordinary people are called to take the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth with his extraordinary love. Enjoy the message. I never saw myself going on missions because I always, I always envision missionaries as uh, people who are pastors. Frankly, only for you know religious people or people that had this that heard from God. Pastors, uh, missionaries, and evangelists, or the chosen one. Uh, but I think the mission is for uh, everyone. I'm just a teacher, single mom, you know, and I noticed that missionaries are significantly younger than I am. I was afraid that I'd curse or I'd slip or I'd say something that offended them. And I don't work in a church. I, I, I've never been a pastor. I've never been to Bible school. Like, I was afraid that I would go and I wouldn't have anything in common with these guys. Everybody thinks you have to be super Christian and you have to be going to church for your whole life. I think mission is for everybody, you know. If you follow Christ, you're part of this mission. My biggest fear about you going was being halfway across the world and cutting the strings at 17 years old and having to be responsible and, and not having contact and just trusting in God that she's going to be okay. God is using me and Rebecca as a family uh, to impact uh, many people in India. Uh, through church planting, starting orphanages, through helping widows. I've seen lives being transformed. Um, and God is using, I think, when we are available, uh, when we listen to God, um, I think He just uses us. We give on a, on a monthly basis, and we've made a decision to do that. However we're able to help them uh, is really, really helping them. Um, and so if, if people are able to give on a consistent basis, however much that may be, um, it means a lot to them. It makes an impact on you, but it also makes an impact on the work environment. I have people at the office like, what are you, you're going to Nepal? Why? And I got to come back and share with them what we saw. And I got a chance to share with what's really going on outside of our country and truly look them in the eye and say, we can all make a difference. We all can do something. It doesn't need to be perfect, but we can do something. Hi, Roy and Susie. I wanted to let you know that your money will go a long ways in helping us to accomplish the work that we need to do on behalf of so many children without shoes and proper clothing. I can't thank you enough for trusting us and allowing us to be the hands and feet of Jesus on your behalf. Larry Good, Lost Children of Peru. We're everyday kind of people, and I was like, how does that, how do we make an impact? And then we see her go, and it, it fills my heart with so much joy, it almost makes me cry. And I love the fact that my children get to see their dad leaving his house. And as my five-year-old says, he's like, well, daddy's going to help poor people. And it just, it warms my heart. The other day I was at South Glen, and this guy walks up and I ended up praying for him 
And it was just like we had done in Denver, and it was no different in my everyday life. I just kind of just told my story, and I never thought my story would make a difference to anybody, but they, um, you know, I learned from them, and they learned from me. Mission transformed my life. Mission changed my life. But I would say go. Just simply go. It's, you know, try to do it with no preconceived notions, and it changes your life. All right, welcome. So glad that you're here. Want to welcome everybody to our global outreach, uh, global launch a uh, couple of weeks. We're actually going to take our time and let the Lord kind of develop this and build this. We normally just do it over a week's time, but the Lord's kind of built it in our church over the last few years, and we're really excited about it. Ethan, uh, sort of um, um, in, in talking about what missions is going to look like when he teaches, um, alluded to the idea that he's got something special, and I, I just want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks, be a part of this. It's really going to be fun. It's really cool, and uh, I, I really think that the Lord's got something in it for you. Uh, before we do anything further with the message, I've got two things that I need to talk about. Uh, the first one, just real quick, got back from Israel, um, excited about that, 81 people. Guy, I love that place. I love what God is doing there. Uh, it's my joy and my heart to take people there. I think now we've taken a little more than six. 600 people from our church uh, to Israel in the last 10 years. Uh, I'll throw it out again for 2017 and see if we can put a trip together. But if you've always wanted to go, uh, come January, I'll be talking a little bit more about that. And I'd love to give you a chance to go with us. It's just, it, it's such a phenomenal place. And as a believer, I think if you get the opportunity, if, if you have the chance to go as a believer, being able to see the place that Jesus walked and to actually visually uh, stand there and, and touch it and experience it. It's just like no other place in the world. I don't know any other way to say that. Not that if you're looking for God, you have to go there. You can find him right here uh, this weekend. But if you love him and you're looking for just the experience of what did it feel like and what did it smell like and I just, I, I can't, I cannot describe it to you other than to say you just have to go and we'll give you a chance to do that. Uh, the other thing, and this one's just, uh, I, I, it, it's worthy of taking the time to give you a quick update. Um, you know that we announced a transition that we have going on inside of our campuses. Pastor Evan and Emily Martin, our Lakewood campus pastors, uh, felt the Lord really speak to them um, at the first part of this year about planting a church here in the Denver area. And as Evan came and shared that with me, man, I, I hate to lose them. It's hard to find good people, and that's just the truth of the matter. I love those guys so much, but I, I bless him. I started a church. How could I tell him no? when he wanted to do it. And so Evan and him, um, really, as they just sought the Lord, came and sought Chris and, and um, my blessing. And uh, as we prayed about it and just spent time with them, not only do we bless them, but we're going to help them do it. We're going to make a significant contribution uh, to make sure that this church is successful and that it gets off the ground. He's going to be planning it somewhere in the Glendale area. And um, after Ev, uh, they're going to transition here in just the next couple of weeks and begin the process of planning a church early in 2017. Uh, it's an aggressive schedule, and I told him that, um, but I think that he can do it. They're very talented people. And uh, I, I told him what we want to do is uh, we 
schedule it for February. We'll have him back here. We'll give him the entire weekend, let him share where his church is going to be at, the name of his church. And folks, we just want to give him the offering from the weekend that weekend and help them get started. And uh, I'd, I'd love to give them fifty, sixty, seventy-five thousand dollars to to help them get started. Wouldn't that be awesome? Jay, you're right. It's very quiet. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to try that one more. Wouldn't it be great to give them a lot of money? Yeah, come on. Um, so what that means, though, in, in light of Evan and Emily stepping out of Lakewood, um, we've got to find what we do next. And as a staff, we just have sought the Lord. We've prayed about that. Um, we did some interviewing, but it became um, abundantly clear that what we had to have at Lakewood were people who had experience, not just uh, people that were, were, were on staff with us, but people that really had experience, people that knew what we were doing in, in our church. They knew the JFC model, and they knew how to work it well. And then I also wanted someone that I felt like would be a great match going for um, in place of Evan and Emily. Big shoes to fill, but uh, you know if God is in it, he's got this taken care of. And it became really clear that I needed to look um, on our executive team. So here's what, here's what we did. I approached um, Pastor G.J. and Cammie Smith, our Lakewood pastors, um, our, I'm sorry, our uh, Castle Rock pastors. I approached them and just said to them, hey, would you guys consider an opportunity to um, step out of your campus and come to Lakewood and take it uh, from where it is now to the next level? Um, and they, they prayed about it, but I was fairly confident that they, they, they knew that it was the Lord. And I mean, almost immediately, DJ was like, yes. And Cammy was a little more, you know, let me, let me figure this out and see. Uh, but she came back and, and, I mean, totally behind it. And it, it made sense because their associates in Castle Rock, Rob and Amy Painter, not only have they pastored before, they've done such a tremendous job for us. And we've looked for an opportunity to find a place for them uh, inside of our organization at an executive level. So DJ and Cammy are going to step from Castle Rock to Lakewood. Rob and Amy are going from the associate pastors to the campus pastors in Castle Rock. Evan and Emily are leaving us, and we're really mad about that. No, we, we, we're super happy, but it's, it's a situation where the Lord has provided for us, and uh, we're excited about that. When do these changes take place? Literally in the next two weeks, they'll, they'll be happening. It's been behind the scenes for months that we've been working on it, and putting it together. Uh, for, for all of our campuses, I just want you to hear me say it. Um, man, we just really feel like um, we, we bless Evan and M and we're, we're excited for them, but I'm also truly excited for what God has for us here. And in particular for Lakewood and for Castle Rock, it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity for both campuses to have great leadership take them to the next place. And so, um, hey, I bless the Lord for that. Um, just, just be praying over the situation, and uh, we'll bring back more information on what Evan and Em are doing. So there you go. I get the, the, the kind of the housekeeping issues out of the way. Let's jump into this message right here. Uh, we called it Ordinary, and that's a pretty ordinary title, huh? Wow. Let, let, let me say it slower. Ordinary. It's a pretty ordinary title. Uh, listen, this is what, what we're doing with this. If you, had to, if you had to have one thing that I want you to take away from this weekend and from the next couple of weekends, it would be this, that everybody in this room, after you hear this message, should feel qualified at some level to do outreach. 
And when I mean outreach, I don't mean like going as a career and doing missions. I don't mean like knocking on people's doors. I don't mean like taking your life and, uh, you know, upside down the apple cart and going a completely different direction. But all of us, man, if you love God and you serve him, then at some level in your life, you've already been called to outreach. You are a witness. You're an example. You're a light. You're a city set on a hill. And so we just want to talk about how that works and what God would have for us. But I hope through the next couple of weeks, what you will hear is that you are qualified beyond just listening to a message. You're qualified beyond just reading the Bible. You're qualified to do great things for God. And I just want to show you how being ordinary, man, maybe the words sometimes stick in our throat like I'm just ordinary. I can't do things like that. But I would just say to you, it's, it's the ordinary that God uses in profound ways. And I, so I'll just ask the question, how many of you feel ordinary? ordinary? Some of you are like, I'm very superior. I don't feel that way at all. This probably won't be for you then. This probably can't help you. But if you feel ordinary, I might be able to help you with a message here. I feel ordinary. I think that that's how most people go through life feeling. I think the disciples felt that way. I think people saw the disciples that way. I think I can prove it to you from Scripture in the book of Acts. Chapter 4, this is after the ascension. The disciples are making their way now without Jesus, establishing the church, being witnesses for him. Man, they're being put to the test in extraordinary measures. Uh, the, the religious rulers thought they had dealt with once and for all Jesus. The problem of Jesus is gone now. And unfortunately for them, Jesus is alive. And not only is he alive, but his disciples are testifying to this, and they're doing it with miraculous power. And so, man, the, the religious powers that be are upset about it. They're losing their stronghold on people. They're losing their position. The church is taking over. So this has to do with Peter and with John, and they've just preached the gospel, and a person's been healed in a miraculous way, but they did it on the Sabbath, of all things. Somebody got healed on the Sabbath. It'd be like me saying someone got healed at church, and somebody's offended about that. I mean, this would be the place where it happens. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is it. So on the Sabbath, they prayed for a guy. He gets healed, and the Pharisees get upset because it took place. Instead of seeing the miracle and what happened, they're upset because it didn't conform to their idea of how God could do it. So they pull these two disciples in. They begin to question them and threaten them. And after they're done trying their best to dissuade them from preaching about Jesus... They're sent away, and then these guys make this comment about them when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled. Let me just stop there. That word uneducated there does not mean they talk like two idiots. It doesn't mean they looked at them and they were just like, you know, they're, they're bumbling fool. What they recognized, these are not the status quo, well-to-do religiously schooled people that we are. These guys have not been given authority by any Bible college, by any church or any type of a hierarchy. These guys, man, they, they do not conform to the pattern that we've established as far as what God uses and how God uses people. So when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they weren't a part of their schooling, their upper echelon, that they were simply, look at the word, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with who? Jesus. Here's what qualified 
these two disciples. It was not their education. It was not their pedigree. It was not where they belonged in society. Here's what qualified them. They had been with Jesus. If you love Jesus, look at me real quick. You're qualified. You're the qualified if you love him. You're the qualified if you call on his name. You're the qualified if you need him. What qualifies you is not a pedigree. In fact, it's not what you get by pedigree in this case that matters. It's what you get by passion that matters. It's loving him and knowing him. When they just simply saw that they had been with Jesus, man, they realized, wow, look at these guys. So let me talk about ordinary real quick. We'll break into this a little more in the next couple of weeks, but just, just real fast. Two identities, two definitions of ordinary. One is simply the one that kind of sticks in the back of your throat. Ordinary is bad. I think we teach our kids all the time, you're not ordinary, you're extraordinary. God's put you on this planet for extraordinary things. All right, that's cool, but every parent is saying that to their kids. Let me try it over here with... See, if you're raising your kids, maybe that's... But after you've raised them, you can say things like that. Yes, you were ordinary, but to us, you're extraordinary. All right, so ordinary is, in, in people's minds, somehow ordinary has become bad, or it's insufficient, or it's weak, or somehow it's distasteful. It's distasteful to be ordinary. And I get it. Compared to the world, if the world's standard of ordinary, it is. It's below average. But man, if you love God, let me talk to you about what ordinary is in a different context. Ordinary is normal. Ordinary is necessary, and ordinary is needed if what ordinary is is what Peter and John were. It's normal, it's necessary, and it's needed. So you qualify of ordinary. Let me just, I just wrote it down. You qualify for ordinary if you love your family. Do you love your family? Three people love their family. Lakewood people are falling on the ground screaming, I love my family right now. Let's try to get, do you love your family? So that, that's ordinary. This world is so far below the people in the world. Yes, the people abandon their families and they treat each other. But in the church, man, we love each other. That's ordinary. Compared to the world, it's above. But for God, that's ordinary to love people. So you're ordinary if you love your family. How about this? You're ordinary if you support your church. You're ordinary if you care for your country. Oh, sure, now. You're ordinary if you pray for your spouse. I realize in the world, that's so extraordinary. But if you're a believer, that's ordinary. We pray for each other. We love each other. We care. How about this? You're ordinary if you get angry at self-loving politicians. I just threw that in there because of the time that it is right now. Any amens on that one? You're ordinary. You're ordinary if you want your kids to do better than you did. You're ordinary if you desire to know God more than you do right now. So I realize compared to what the world says, yes, that is extraordinary. But in our midst where we live, because we have a God is extraordinary, he raises the bar of ordinary. If we just do what he tells us to do, it makes us extraordinary in the eyes of the world. But here. That's just, or, it's ordinary to love people. It's ordinary to support each other. It's ordinary to care for each other. So let me just real quickly, let me talk to you about ordinary and see if I can qualify you to understand, man, God has so much more for you than just survival. He's got so much more for you 
than just week in and week out. God has so much more for you. If you've got a pen, you might want to write these down. One, God chooses ordinary people. God chooses ordinary people. Think about it. Peter and John, if you go back in the Old Testament, all the way from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the patriarchs, God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Let me give you an example of someone in the New Testament, and I just kind of relate to this guy. See if you can pick out why. Look at this right here. Jesus went on to the city of Jericho. Those who just went to Israel, can you imagine where Jericho is? You know, can you think where? Okay, so we went on to, I'm trying to provoke those who haven't gone. Jesus went on to the city of Jericho and was passing through it. So he's going from the Galilee, and to get to Jerusalem, you have to go through Jericho. There was a rich man named Zacchaeus. He was a leader of those who gathered taxes. So he's a tax collector, but he's like the chief tax collector. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he could not because so many people were there, and he was a short man. So he was rich, and he was short. Which one do you think I relate to with this guy? Let you decide which one you... Th oh, come on. I thought it was funny, and it's a... Come on. Guys are tight. All right. Obviously, it's wealth. So Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus... But he could not because so many people were there and he was a short man. So he ran ahead and he got into a sycamore tree to see him. Jesus was going by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. At once I must stay at your house today. This is just a comment. The Bible doesn't say Jesus was looking up as he came. He got to that place and then stopped. And I wonder if he knew the whole time when I get here, he'll be there. And I wonder, look, just real quick, I wonder if it's like right now in space and time that you're sitting here and he's walking by because he knew he was going to be here and he's stopping to look at you right now to say, listen to me, get down from that place and follow me. You and I are going to spend time together right now. Could God use an ordinary service on an ordinary weekend with a bunch of ordinary people to do the extraordinary in your life? Could this be the day and the time right now? I mean, can you even believe that or see that or think that way? So I think most of us find ourselves just simply living day in and day out and never even expressing a desire for more than. And what if today was your extraordinary? What if Jesus just walked by and you're at the right spot at the right time? You didn't even know it. You just showed up and you were short. <laughs> and so you thought, I just... I'm trying to see, what if Jesus gets to the right spot and just simply points, now's the time. Here's Zacchaeus' only edge over all the other people in Jericho. And man, he's being thronged right now. This, this does not do an adequate job to tell us what that was like when Jesus came through that town. He's at the apex of his ministry. Everywhere he goes... The dead come back to life. Blind people see. People that have been lame all their life get up and walk. You tell me how that would be if somebody in here was doing that tonight. Would you sit there passively or would you come up front to see what was going on? You'd gather around that man or that woman and you would be like, I got to see. That's what these people, they have thronged him and Zacchaeus cannot see because so many people are in front of him trying to see Jesus. That's why he climbs the tree. His only edge over all those people there, this is his only edge. The only thing he had going, it was not his money, it was not his stature, it was not his profession, it was certainly not his height. The only edge 
that Zacchaeus had over all those people, he had a desire to see Jesus and he was going to do something about it. Here's my question. So maybe you just are, are listening this weekend and everything else. Maybe, maybe it's just very ordinary. Could there be one extraordinary desire in your heart that you want to see Jesus? You want to experience him. You want to touch him. You want to know him. If he's got more for you, you want to find out what it is. That's the only edge you need to separate you from the rest of the crowd. You need a desire. You have any desire to see him, man. Trust me, God knows your desire. It blesses him. If you want to experience him, trust me, he's not out there somewhere. He's the God of the universe, but he's the God that knows the number of hair in your head. And if you have any desire to experience him, trust me, friend, he wants to meet you in that desire. He wants to touch you right in that place. Zacchaeus' only edge over everybody else is that he had a stronger desire to see Jesus, so he did something about it. I love that. God chooses ordinary people. Ordinary people. Again, you can use that as a distraction, like ordinary so low, or you can use it like God uses normal, he uses me, and he uses you, and he uses people all around us. He just chooses ordinary people. God, who's qualified to be ordinary? Everybody in this room. Everybody at every campus. Everybody that will hear this message. God chooses ordinary people. So let me give you the second one. God uses ordinary people. This is a little longer scripture. It's a little longer story. Uh, I think because part of this message, I, I finished up when I was in Israel. And I was experiencing some of these places and seeing some of these things again. And it was so fresh in my heart. And somehow I wanted to communicate back to my church what I was feeling and experiencing. And I, I just, I wanted to bring a piece of that back. And this story was just so close in my heart when I finished up the message there. So uh, this, is, this is John's account of a story um, with Jesus. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed him. Again, he's at his zenith, man. He's at his apex because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So as he was apt to do, he would minister to the crowd, and then he would pull his 12 away, and he would just talk to them and refresh with them and teach them. And so the Bible just gives us a little narrative while they're sitting there talking, here's what's going on in time and space. The Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He had withdrawn from them, kind of snuck away after ministering, and they found him. And the whole throng is coming up to him. So a great multitude coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And then this little, little side note, Jesus said this to test Philip, because he himself knew what he would do. Let me just remind you of this. If God ever asks you a question, it's not because he lacks the knowledge in a situation. If he ever asks you a question, it's because he's trying to get you to see something inside of you. He's trying to get you to see more than you can see right now. Jesus knows exactly what. He's not waiting for Philip to tell him what to do. He's not like, hey, Philip, do you have any good ideas? I'm, I'm, I'm really out of juice, man. I, you know, I just healed everybody, and I'm tired now. Can you guys come up with something? I, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> he knows exactly what he's going to do. He wants those guys to lift their faith up. He wants ordinary people 
to express extraordinary belief. It's all he wants. It's not looking for them to do the miracle, right? He's just, all he wants. Here would have been a great answer that Philip could have just, I mean, he could have spitballed and given this to Jesus. How about this? I'm not sure exactly what you're going to do, but you just healed a bunch of people. I bet you'll do something remarkable right now. That qualifies as a great answer. But to be like, I have no idea what you're, I, I, we don't have enough money. We certainly don't have enough food. I mean, look, I, this is in my mind what makes me feel like I would have fit in well with the disciples. That these guys, regardless of everything that happened, still acted like very ordinary people. They just came away from seeing the miraculous. In my mind, I would think this. If you saw the miraculous every day, you'd be without excuse forever to be normal. And yet, that's just what kind of ordinary does sometimes. doesn't always see it the way it should. And God's always trying to lift our vision up. So Jesus just answers, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Oh, Lord, there is a kid here who has five buns. Five, I mean, what do you want to, biscuits? Call, they're not, don't think, think little. There's a lad here who has five little biscuits and two small fish. But what are they? I mean, he begins with the, Lord, we've got this. But even what is that? That's the wrong answer. And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, and in number, there were about 5,000 people there. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. Now, just I use this translation because I want you to see the progression. Jesus takes the loaves, and when he had given thanks, who does Jesus give them to? So here, I just want you to picture this. Do you think, like, while he's giving it to the disciples... It's just like, they're like, oh, stop, I can't care. What do you think's going on here? Do you think he just hands them the little morsels? Right. I'm asking you. Yeah. It's okay to talk back to the pastor. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you think he just hands them the little bit that he's blessed in his hands, right? Okay, and then they begin to give it out, right? Do you see that? So when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And then the disciples to those sitting down. Likewise, the fish... As much as they wanted. Not just like, here's a little, just don't eat more and hold on to it too. Wait until we all have some. Have as much as you want. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing will be lost. If you know the end of that story, man, they gather up 12 Basketful. I think the only piece, the reason that's there is so that people wouldn't go, oh, there was just like barely, they just divide. I think, I think there was so much food as the disciples began to give it to people. Here's what happened. Very ordinary people who gave very ordinary answers as soon as they just let Jesus have his way in their lives. Experienced extraordinary means. Extraordinary means. All right, I just wrote this down. They're not in your notes. Let me just give you three things that I see here that I think are really cool. One, it's just simply a common theme throughout the Bible 
Jesus never asks, the gospel never asks, the Father never asks, what do you have tomorrow? He always just asks this question, which makes it possible for all of us to give him something. What do you have in your hand right now? He didn't say what's out there in the lake. He didn't say what's down at the store. He said, what do we have right now in our midst? And the only thing was, we have five loaves and we have two little fish. Okay, so here's the second thing. Jesus did not steal this kid's lunch. So I, I want you to get the right thing. We're like, you know, come here, kid, give me that. I bet the kid had the opportunity to decide what he wanted to do. I bet they yelled, do we have anything? And the kid probably was like, I get this. And Jesus probably looked at him and said, can I have it? Now the kid had to decide, am I going to give up my fish and chips for everybody else? Put it in Jesus' hands. Remarkably, remarkably, Jesus doesn't steal the kid's lunch. The kid gave it to Jesus to use. Whatever you put in his hands, it doesn't matter how much it is. It's what you have in your hand today. If you'll give it to God, the miraculous can take place. And too many people always think, if I just get this, then I'll do this. God never asks you what you'll do when. He asks you what you'll do now. So what do you have now? And he's never concerned about the amount of it. It's just what you have now. What's in your hand now? Maybe it's not much. That's not the point. God doesn't need much to do great. That's why he uses ordinary people. He doesn't need a lot to do great things. I just put this down as the last thing that I see here, and I try to point it out to you. The miracle took place in the disciples' hands. Jesus gave it to them to distribute. I think he did that for this reason. He could have done it. He was the one who created the miracle. I think he let them do it just one more time to experience the miraculous. You know what's funny? It's rich right after this. They go right back to the same place. I don't know what we're going to do. They just experienced the miraculous. I don't know what we're going to do. I'll give you the last one. The ordinary. Here's the only problem with the ordinary. Many times, the ordinary disguises God in our world. Let me show you a scripture from the Old Testament. This is 800 years. So I'm going to say it one more time. This is 800 years before Jesus walked the earth. Now he's existed eternally as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has existed eternally as God, but he walked in the flesh as a man. So he was all God, but he was a man. God came in the flesh, God with us. 800 years before Jesus is born in the flesh, the Bible prophesies not only that Jesus would come and what Jesus would do, but the Bible makes this, this reference about him. And by the way, I'll just for those of you who like to study the Bible, there's a reference outside of the Bible by a, a, an, an, a man from antiquity named Josephus. Do you know that name by chance? So Josephus was not a Christian. He, he was a... Um, he was a Jewish governor in Galilee that when the Romans came in, he actually became a Roman and changed his Jewish name to Josephus, but he was a person who just simply recorded. And he actually was an eyewitness to Jesus and wrote about Jesus, wrote about what people believed about Jesus. And he actually, not knowing that the scripture was talking about Jesus, Josephus himself said that Jesus was a very ordinary common looking person but here's what Isaiah 800 years before Jesus is born this is what Isaiah said about Jesus he had no beauty 
or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should what? Let me just say this to you one more time. Sometimes things can look so ordinary that you don't detect God in them. And you can pass it right by looking for something really amazing and not realize that in this room right now, in our campuses this weekend, very ordinary people, just look around, man. Maybe there's no kingly looking person in this church or regal looking like that God could really use that person. Look at them. Maybe, um, maybe you just feel ordinary. Maybe you feel quite normal. Maybe you don't feel like God could ever use you. And things that look so normal can actually disguise what God can use. And people can pass them right by, never realizing God could use that. I got a really funny illustration here. Just talking about ordinary. I have a very ordinary recliner. In fact, it's so ordinary and I've used it for so long that it's all worn in, fits me perfect. You wouldn't like sitting in it because it's not to your shape. It's to mine. (laughs) And it's not attractive. And in fact, it's not one of those things that in our house we put in a prominent place because we don't want anybody to see this recliner. (laughs) But in that recliner, watching a very ordinary news program, A little girl walked up and climbed on her dad's lap and asked him to tell her about Jesus. And on a very ordinary day, in a very ordinary recliner, with a very ordinary man, the miraculous took place. That little girl asked about Jesus, and I told her, and I asked her if she wanted Jesus in her life and in her heart. She said, I do, and I prayed for her. And that little girl is your pastor. Her and Marcus pastored this church remarkably well in our Lone Tree campus. It's just very ordinary, normal situations every day in our life that God wants to do extraordinary things with. And I don't know, man, I, I, I think it's so easy to think, I, I don't just want to be normal. I just want, I want to be more than ordinary. In the kingdom, man, that's... God invites us to the extraordinary. He invites us to things that are so far above what this world has and what this world sees and what the world... He invites us to a place, to a relationship, to a time, and a place with Him that's extraordinary. And I know most of you, you love God, but you're not experiencing extraordinary. It's just simply the truth. You just, you get up and you go to work and you're married and you bathe your kids and you... Go through life and you're like, I want, I'm crying to you right now. God knows right where you are in space and time what he wants, what's in your hand now. Not what you'll do 10 years from now. Not what you'll do when you have more time or when you retire. Not what you do if you get more education or you become more serious. What will you do today? 
Right now, he wants to touch an ordinary person. He wants to touch an ordinary campus. He just wants ordinary people. And maybe that's not like the most glamorous. You know, the problem with a message like this is you could preach, God wants those who feel super qualified. And maybe you get two or three people who really feel charged up. But the majority of people are just like, I don't know then. I think this whole message would be God's just looking for ordinary. If you feel ordinary, you're qualified. If you feel normal, you're qualified. If you just feel like I'd like to experience extraordinary, you're qualified. I think that the place of beginning in that is just simply, God, here I am. He just looks for willingness, faith, belief. He's not asking you to go do anything, not trying to charge you up to go on a trip or to give or to do any. I just, God, here I am. Here I am. It's all he wants from you. When's the last time you said that to him? Here I am. Here I am. So, Father, I guess that's where I would just take this message to your place and to your time. It's just here we are. Here we are. God, what do you want to do with us and what do you want to say to us? What do you want to bring to us? God, maybe we don't have much to offer. Maybe the majority of us are like a kid that doesn't have a whole lot. But what we do have, God, we want to give to you. We want you to be able to use it. We want you to be able to multiply it. We want you to be able to do good things in this world for others. And we're willing to give you what we have. To give you our time, our hearts, our talent. Maybe it is your treasure. Can you just say to him, here I am. Young, old, male or female. Maybe you're not even in a really good place. Maybe you're like, Pastor, if I was in a good place, maybe that message would be applicable, but I'm just not in a good place. God never says to you, what do you have tomorrow? He asks you, what do you have right now? even be okay to say to him, God, I'm not okay, but here I am. God, everything's not perfect, but here I am. Maybe you just showed up. Could this be the place that God knew you were going to be at? And he's just stopping and looking at you right now and asking you the question, follow me. I've got to get with you today. What would you say? God, here I am. Father, we just open our hearts to you. Every one of us, Lord. God, we want to experience you. We want to have a greater knowledge and understanding and a relationship with you, God, that goes deeper. God, help us. Here we are. Help us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. You know, we printed these up. I'm going to remind you one more time. We put these together because we think that ordinary people can do very extraordinary things if they just give God a chance. And I want to encourage you, the next couple of weeks, the opportunities that we're going to set before you, man, once a year we do something like this. It's really, really worthy. Take a few minutes. Go to the website. Check it out. You might be amazed at what you see. If you have time, I really want to encourage you, October 4th, it's going to be a sweet, sweet evening. I really believe God wants to do some extraordinary things with us, and that's why we're taking the time to do this. Take this with you. Make sure and mark it down. I think, um, I think you'll really appreciate it. I'm going to let all your campus pastors have the service at this point for your campus to direct any type of ministry. So hold on just a second.